in the bottom of the 10th with men on first and second. And Terry Francona looks over and sees Stephen Kwan about to approach the batter's box. He told him, help me, Obi Kwan. You're my only hope. <laughs> if he didn't, he should have. <laughs> this is this is guarding the corner. I'm James Mastrucci. That's Brian Fraley. Uh, of course, that is a reference to the doubleheader that the Guardians of Padres played on Star Wars Day. Ah, uh, yes. May the fourth be with you and all of our listeners as well. And we'll get into that game in a minute. But the first game... Not as uh, exciting for the Guardians. <laughs> no, this, this one didn't go so great, um, but not not terrible. wasn't our worst game of the year, that's for sure. Um, but San Diego got to uh, Quantrill early, and uh, that ended up being the difference in this game, I think, because uh, we were playing from behind kind of the whole day. Yeah, it, it's a tough task for this team. I've noticed a trend this year for when mm-hmm. they get behind. They just—it feels like they crumble if they get behind first. Um, yeah, I, it does feel that way. It does seem more of a trend than just like something that, you know, has happened. Uh, and I think that's got a lot to do with being a young team and just not being all that loaded offensively to begin with. And when you're a team that knows your shortcomings offensively, I think that gets in guys' heads and they kind of press a little too much. And we've seen that when these guys press and they change their approach, you know, we could have bad days at the plate. Yeah, sometimes, you know, being a young team and seeing that one nothing lead for you first is a very big confidence booster. It makes you feel like you're on top of the world. It makes you feel like you're unstoppable. You can do anything. But at the same time, if it's the other way around, it seems like an unclimbable mountain. Uh, it really does. Uh, scoring first in baseball, is it's underrated. <laughs> the, the first team to score has a, a, a huge advantage because in baseball, when you're playing defensively and you've got a, like a lead, you, you feel like you're playing with house money a little bit. And then when you get up to bat, you know, you're not, you know, trying to stretch things and, and make things happen. You're just kind of letting the game come to you. Uh, and uh, young teams suffer from that more so than uh, veteran teams. So I think that's been the case with some of these uh, not so great days we had when we fell behind early. It, it definitely seems, seems to be trending in that direction. If it's not actually yeah you know that's that's not actually the reason why it seems like things are at least going in that direction that that's the reason why uh but in game one the uh the pitching matchup was what i think got a lot of attention here because it was you know zach plesak for cleveland and mm-hmm. former cleveland pitcher mike clevenger on the hill for san diego i know there's a lot of talk about maybe zach plesak facing his buddy he gets you know starts pitching like zach plesak again but uh, no we get more of the same uh, yeah, much more of the same, unfortunately. But yeah, that was uh, definitely the big storyline on the day. Um, pretty cool seeing him back out there after that injury. He hadn't pitched in, shoot, over a year. Um, so all things considered, you know, he had a really, really good positive outing for them. But I mean, is there any team that trades more than the Padres? I feel like no matter who they go up against, there's like some kind of storyline of a former player. Uh, I mean, it's uh, the Padres trade a lot. Uh, the Guardians and Padres trade a lot with each other. I mean, yeah, because uh, you, you look at the lineup for Cleveland. At one point, Owen Miller, Josh Naylor, and um, Framio Reyes were all in the Padres organization. Right. Yeah, that's a and, that's a really good point. And you know, that's before you even get to the pitchers. The now you know departed Logan Allen, Cal Quantrill. At one point, we had Brad Hand in town, like. Right. Oh, Adam Simper was here too. That's another guy that we got from San Diego. 
Yeah, that's right. It, it's it's. I, I swear, no matter who I see them going up against, you always like have a, a list of three or four players who were at least at one point in time in their farm system. Um, interestingly enough, though, Hosmer too, a guy that's been rumored to be on the move for a long time now. Um, he's actually got off to a really nice start this year. It, it, this is usually a pattern for Eric Hosmer. He gets out to a, a hot start, and it's like, oh, is Eric Hosmer back? And then he yeah. gets the inevitable crater. He's still coasting on that early season success. I'm not someone who has a ton of faith in Eric Hosmer somehow finding the fountain of youth, unless it's, <laughs> uh, you know, other ways uh, given to him. Uh, let's put it that I, way. I, um, yeah, I think he's benefiting a lot from being able to play that DH spot. Yeah, being able to go into the DH is probably where he probably should be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sooner rather than later. I, I know he's still an adequate first baseman defensively, but there's right. just a certain point at a certain age where you just don't want guys, you know, 33, 34 as your starting first baseman anymore. If they can hit a little bit, you make them the DH. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good way to stretch out a guy's career, too. I mean, you're you're limiting their injury uh, percentage in half, basically, by not having them play the field. So um, that's what we see a lot of guys do, that they trans- transition out, uh, these power hitters at first base. They usually transition into that DH role, um, like you said, you know, early 30s, middle 30s, uh, to try and, you know, get a little more out of these guys. But, yeah, he seems to be one that's benefiting that uh, from that more so than uh, a lot of guys this year. Yeah, so far it does. And, you know... Hosmer, he did uh, drive in the first run of the game uh, in the top of the first because Eric Hosmer had to be that much of a you know pain in the neck from the top of the game. Uh, <laughs> he was... did play first base in game one, too. He, he I did. Admit, I, yeah, he, he DH'd in the second game. But, yeah, so they are still using him in the field. Uh, I'm not saying he's limited to just DH, but uh, I think that him being able to take days off and still stay in that lineup uh, is great for them. It is, and, you know, his only hit of the day was that RBI single in the first. Um, it doesn't seem like it matters where Manny Machado plays. He's always going to take a Cleveland pitcher yard. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Baltimore, San Diego, it's not going to matter. That dude loves hitting Cleveland pitching deep. And that's what he did in this one. Uh, he took Plesak deep. Uh, it, it seems like everyone who got a chance to drive in a run with Plesak on the mound did in, in this game. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's for certain. He certainly didn't have his best stuff uh, on this particular day. Um, and it wasn't surprising to see a guy like Machado get to him um, just because, he, you know, he, he didn't look all that great. And uh, guys like Machado live for, for days like that when a guy just doesn't have his best stuff. Um, that's when they really can make you, you know, pay for it. And he did in the top of the third inning with that home run. So that gave him the uh, early 3-0 lead. And like I said, it, you know, playing behind all all day for that first game, uh, not easy to do for a young team. And uh, we struggled in that position. Definitely struggled. I mean, it, I think some of it's just kind of repeated um, morale killers, essentially, with, with Plesak on the mound because it's just like, well, here we go again. He's going to give up runs early. And then, you know, it, that can impact the young team very quickly, especially if it's the same guy who's struggling over and over again. You know, once he gives up one, it's like, great, how many is it this time? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, giving up runs early, we we mentioned it already on this podcast, how important that can be. And uh, it's deflating for a team. So when you march a guy like Plesak out there, it does sometimes you get that, uh, here we go again. 
Um, but, you know, that's the, the position that we're in right now. Uh, he, he's in the starting five, and um, hopefully we can get some more out of him uh, throughout the season because so far he has not been uh, great. It, it, he's gotten uh, essentially progressively worse as the season's gone on. Um, I think that's a fair statement, yeah. Uh, looking at his game logs, uh, he didn't allow a run in his first start, so it's like, okay, please sack, maybe you're back. Right. Then it was two. Then it was one. Then it was six. Now it's four. It's like okay. Uh, let me ask you this too: How much of that do you think it is? Like the hitting is just catching up to the pitching, and those first couple games probably a little fluky for him uh, with the short spring. Um, so do you think that those were a little bit fraudulent the early starts? I would say it's probably pointing in that direction. Like you said, bats are getting a little bit warmed up compared to early on in the year. I mean. They didn't necessarily face uh, the most dominant lineups in that time with particularly good weather conditions either. Yeah, that's um, a good point. So, you know, the, the best lineup they faced was probably that White Sox lineup before everybody got hurt. They got hurt in that lineup. Yeah, um, right. Uh, but since then, they they really haven't. But since then, it's been, you know, better better teams that he's faced. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this is kind of a problem yeah the competition gets better and his numbers get worse um and that's the opposite of how you want to see guys progress throughout the season um so yeah the, this is a a position right now of of doubt with this team um they really need to get him going and uh it's just like you said it, it each start he feels like he's slipping a little bit more and more each time and and he also uncharacteristically had the four walks on the day too and you just cannot walk four guys when when you don't have it like him, uh, especially when you're a guy that relies on putting the ball in play a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four walks in five innings allowed five hits, five runs. Struck out four, but Manny Machado did get to him in the third. Um, <clears throat> other guys in the game, De Los Santos, Henches, Shaw, they did not uh, only allow one hit and one walk both to De Los Santos. Yeah, pitching was great uh, beyond the the bad inning by, you know, Plesak there. Uh, pitching was really good. They, they kept us in the game, that's for certain. Um, really good outing from uh, Henches, uh, De Los Santos, like you mentioned. Uh, and then, you know, Shaw coming in late, he pitched well too. Um, so it, it definitely wasn't um, it wasn't due to the bullpen or anything like that. It, it just was, you know, Plesak had a bad day and uh, Machado made him pay for it. And that was enough to make the difference in the game. Yeah, it was. Uh, San Diego's bullpen uh, carried them most of the way because Clevenger only went four and two-thirds uh, in this game. But Wilson, Chris, Matt, Garcia, Rogers, uh, dude, ro- seeing Rogers and they're like, he's going for his 10th save of the like, He's got 10 saves already? <laughs> it's incredible, really. Uh, they're just a really good team in close games. Yeah, the the Padres are 16-8 uh, and eight after the first game with this win. Uh, over Cleveland. Uh, it was uh, a quick turnaround, though, with the uh, doubleheader. Yeah, so definitely. Uh, while they didn't Real feature, while they didn't feature like uh, all of their normal starting bats in this lineup, uh, a couple of those guys returned for Game Two. Uh, yeah, for sure. you know, you see Hedges in there, you see Framil Reyes in there. Uh, Mercado got some time, uh, as well as so did uh, Ernie Clement. But they kind of split their main guys between the two games, it seems like. Yeah, and I think that that's probably a smart approach. 
Um, so uh, overall, they did get to stick to the plan on the uh, doubleheader with the traditional doubleheader. Uh, it, it seemed obvious that uh, Tito had a plan going into the game. Um, he stuck to it. And, you know, we're, we'll get to the next game later. But I think because of that, um, you know, they were able to put themselves in a position to uh, not start another losing streak. You know, we could actually uh, bounce back with a win for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, stuck to the game plan. Um, good outings from the bullpen. Uh, close game, but at the end of the day, uh, that we just didn't have enough uh, at the plate to overcome that two-run home run earlier in the game. Yeah, that's that's hard to hard to come back from. And when you when the the league gets stretched out for San Diego to um, when after it was, after after it was three nothing, then Cleveland tied it up at three. Then San Diego added a couple of response runs immediately in the sixth. And, yeah, and they and so the response runs I think did a number on them. Uh, they did score another run in the seventh, but that, like it, it it took a minute. It wasn't like an immediate response. Response runs are huge. Yeah, response runs are huge, and uh, obviously the Padres are a little bit more of a potent lineup than we are, mm-hmm. uh, so you, you kind of expect that from them, um, but with us being a, a young team, I think that because they bounced back like they did and, and jumped right back on us and got back in the league, I think that that was a little bit deflating, um, so I, I think that got to some of the guys, uh, the fact that you know they were, they were chipping away and trying to keep them in it, and then it was like the very next inning, boom. Um, so yeah, it's it's deflating for a young team, and uh, ended up being the difference. Uh, while I do agree with you, my dog Hudson does not apparently. Uh, oh, as he's doing sorry, that, Hudson. If he's doing everything to try and interrupt you, uh, no, I think uh, I think the mailman's here is what's happening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not much you can do about that. Uh, yeah, uh, Hudson had to let me know that the mail was here. Thank you, Hudson. But anyways, uh, I, I do agree with what you're saying, though. Mm-hmm. It's you know. It's just hard for a team like this compared to San Diego. You know what I mean? Yeah, and another thing I want to point to uh, from the first game, too, is just uh, just not much production um, from Jose in this game. We're used to him kind of carrying the team with the RBIs, and uh, him going hitless on this day really uh, – the other guys picked him up, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, when Jose has a bad day like that, um, we're not going to win many games. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's kind of hard. Like you did get on base twice through walks, but a, a Jose Ramirez hit is much more impactful than a walk. Uh, right. You know, besides the obvious, if there are runners on base, they could move ahead or advance, whatever, or score. He's slug. Yeah, he's slugging the shit out of the ball right now. Is the point? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so that like him getting on base with a walk is is not quite the same. Um, if anything, that's the game plan for a lot of these guys going up against them is like, don't, don't let them hurt you, you know, keep it out of the zone. Uh, if he swings and miss and you get a strikeout out of them, great. If you walk them, you know, make someone else in this guardians lineup hurt you. And, uh, in this case, you know, we didn't have the, the big answer from anybody, uh, in the bottom of the lineup. No, not really. Uh, Luke Maley, one for three, Andres Jimenez, oh, for four. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is back in the lineup. He went one for three. That was that was nice to see after he was struggling for a minute before he uh, yeah. missed a few games with an injury. Naylor had a nice day. Uh, he had a really good game. He had two hits and four at bats, and also drove in two runs. Um, so he's been really positive piece for this team since he's came back. Um, got his batting average at three twenty seven on base at three fifty two and slugging five oh something. My page cut off there, but anyway, you get the five hundred. 
Yeah. It, it, the point being is this is about as much as we could have expected from Josh Naylor coming back. Um, but really good to see, you know, in a game where Jose struggled, a guy like Naylor stepping up and at least giving us a chance. You know, they made it a one-run game, and a lot of that had to do with Naylor driving in those two runs. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about Josh Naylor in, in the five spot in the order? Because I think that's honestly the perfect spot for him. I love it. Yeah, it feels like a real natural spot for him. Um, and guys like Ahmed Rosario and Andre Semenez, like, I, they're just not five hitters, you know. Uh, they, they could be valuable pieces at the bottom of the lineup, but I, I don't see either of those guys as, like, this is a guy who's going to slug. And that's what you want out of a five hitter. You know, you want a guy that's going to drive in runs and hit for some power. And Naylor has just enough power, you know, that yeah. he, could stri- he could strike fear into a pitcher's heart. Um, they respect him at the plate. They know that he can, you know, take guys deep. He's proven that. So, yeah, I really like him in that five spot. It feels really comfortable for him too. Yeah, the the lineup I think of the optimal three four five at least you know recent lineup. Uh, it comes from a, a you know a division rival, uh, but it was the Tigers in the early 2010s, probably about 10 years ago, when it was mm-hmm. Mick Elkabar third, Prince Fielder fourth, Victor Martinez fifth. That is yep. a nightmare. Super nightmare. I mean, all guys who hit hit for average, but also drive in a ton of runs. Mm-hmm. Like, and Victor Martinez hit the the least power of the three. He hit the occasion. He hit home runs occasionally. Probably think it was closer to twenty than like the forty or fifty the other two guys were. But right. he was good in the average department, and he could drive in runs. Yeah, absolutely. It's just you can't you can't really put a price on. Uh, a player who can drive in runs in clutch situations. And those guys that you mentioned, it seems like they, they always came up clutch for the, them during that run. Um, and, and that's what you hope to see from these guys. I, I really like Ramirez, Miller, Naylor, three, four, five. I like that. You know, there's some juice there. Um, it's obviously not as intimidating as, you know, on the other end when you have Machado and Tatis and, uh, you know, but still it's, it's a potent three, four, five for a team that's uh not going to be known for its offense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, at some point, uh, Reyes is going to join the 3-4-5 again after he straightens his, his bat out. Because, uh, you know, having uh, having a guy that can just hit just piss missiles uh, in yes. like the 4 or 5 spot is fantastic. Because if they're not worried about a guy driving the ball out of the ballpark outside of like Jose Ramirez, then they're, they're going to challenge him. You know what I yep. mean? And, 100%. And, and, and so... With, I was just going to say real quick, as good as Jose Ramirez has been this year, he's not getting good pitching. Like, he's getting the worst pitching by far on this team. So, you know, if you have a guy like Reyes who could step in and, and start to produce and, and, like you said, be a guy that just hits dongs, like, mm-hmm. it, that would be massive. Yeah, Jose Ramirez ain't getting shit to hit, and he still has an OPS uh, north of 1,100. Right. Imagine if you've got. Uh, imagine if Reyes behind him is a thirty-five to forty-five home run guy. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That would be just such a potent one-two punch. It would be. Uh, it was over eleven hundred after game one. Let me let me correct myself. It was below eleven hundred after game two, but still <laughs> stupid numbers. <laughs> yes, really stupid numbers. But uh, let's get into game two here. Yes, much more fun to talk about. Game two was great. Got a little bit more length, uh, a little better outing. Quality start from Cal Contrell in this one. Uh, just three runs, three hits. He walked five guys. 
And that, yeah, that was, I was going to mention that. That was the only part of his game that wasn't really particularly strong on this day, but I, I think he had a great outing. You know, considering he walked five guys, he went six innings, threw 98 pitches, got seven strikeouts. Yeah. The strikeouts are huge when you walk that many guys because at some point, ball's going to have to be put in play. If the guys are on the bases, they might be scoring, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. And, and this is something that I always talk about for a pitcher is scattering your hits. Mm-hmm. Scatter your, you know, same thing with the walks, you know, limit it in one inning. Like, you, if you would have, you know, put a couple of those back-to-back, then you're looking at an entirely different game. But because he was able to kind of scatter those three hits and five walks out over those six innings, um, he ended up getting, like you mentioned, he got a quality start here and uh, put the team in position to win the game, which we ultimately did. Yeah, uh, you know, just being able to, I guess, keep things close because it, it could have gone completely just off the rails in this game. It, it, oh, it, it really could have. I mean, you walk five guys. Uh, on the other side, you got Mackenzie Gore allowing just a run on four hits and three walks. And it's just like, oh man, it just, it, it really felt like as it was, the game was progressing, as we were getting towards the final couple of innings, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be such a disappointing doubleheader loss here. It and did, it felt that way. The stupid sweep streak's going to continue. But, you know, but, the, the, they were able to put some stuff together, even though when they got down five to two. Yeah, I, I was going to say, just going into this game, like, this is by far the most significant game that this young team has played so far. Um, the fact that the story on their season has been that they're streaky, you know, they, they, they can't bounce back from a loss. If they ended up, you know, they turn losses into sweeps, and then they turn sweeps into seven-game losing streaks. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, that, that was the book on this team so far. Uh, they had not shown that they could answer back after a loss. And for them to go down 3 nothing after, you know, the way that they lost game one in the top of the first inning, like, this team could have rolled over and died. Like, they very easily could have rolled over and died and just tried to get through this doubleheader and just move on to the next series. Um, but that's not what happened, you know, and that is why I think this was such a massively important game uh, because, you know, they were interviewing Hedgie, and he was talking about it before the game. Like, that seven-game losing streak, for a young team, that's one of the best things that can happen to you once you show that you could bounce back from it. Mm-hmm. And, and they did that. They bounced back from the losing streak. They answered with a sweep. And then, you know, back to another loss. It was okay. Are they going to do it again? Is this going to turn into another, you know, five, six-game losing streak? Uh, but they didn't. They, they came back. And then uh, to not only come back and win, but to come back and win in Mickey Mouse extra innings in a walk-off situation at home, Mm-hmm. Um, e- even better. So this was just a massive, massive win for for a team that's only played twenty four games. Uh, this was a big one. It was a very, it was a very big game for this team, uh, and you you nailed it right there. To, to be, I mean, I, there's nothing really I can add on to that for what you said. Um, but looking at probably, uh, not even probably, it is the most pivotal moment of the game here. It's the sequence in the in the bottom of the eighth, where you you have uh, you have uh, uh, Miller and Reyes on first and second. Uh, Jimenez is at the plate. He draws it to a full count. Then with guys running, he's able to drive in Miller and Reyes goes to third. Then yeah, it's but... Austin Hedges sees two balls, then hits a sinker and drives in Reyes. 
to make it a five to four game. Then Josh Naylor gets two strikes early, looking. Uh, maybe he was hoping for his own version of two or three consecutive balls, but it wasn't going his direction. But on the fifth pitch of his at bat, he hits a changeup and ties the game. Yeah, massive, massive. In a pitch hitting situation, too, which is not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came in and batted for uh, Clement in this game. But yeah, I mean, the guys you mentioned, Jimenez, Hedges, like, you know, these aren't these aren't guys that you're expecting to play the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they came through with massive hits and, like, the most important moment of the game, like you said, that sequence by far, by answering the two runs in the top of that eighth inning with three runs of their own um, and tying things up, it was just massive. And uh, that's what allowed this game to uh, eventually go into extra innings. Um, So, you know, the guys that have, a guy in Hedges who has been, let's face it, a black hole this year, Mm -hmm. um, not the guy you want going to the plate in that situation, but he delivered. Um, so yeah, it's just like uh, so many storylines um, of positives that we can take away from this one game. I mean, this sequence right here, just very mature at bats from all three of them. Yep. It, none and, of none of them swung and missed, which is really impressive too. Because one of the things we talked about with this team when they fall behind is they press and they they abandon you know what makes them great and what makes them great is they take pitchers deep into counts and they hit for contact. And uh, for them to maintain that approach and that focus and to see a couple balls and to, to not swing and miss, um, it, it speaks to their maturity uh, in a big moment. And, yeah, it, it, it really truly does. It shows that, you know, while immediate returns on this roster, on this team, may not look the best long-term with these mm-hmm. guys as the central pieces of what you're looking for, maybe not Hedges, but you know, <laughs> yeah. but Naylor, Jimenez, uh, you know, and some of the other guys, it seems like you have some good, you know, key pieces to lean on and be like, okay, that's a guy I know I can put in my lineup every day. Maybe yep. this guy's uh, part-time duties. You know what I mean? Yeah. Every every winning team has those guys. Like baseball is a game of roles. Uh, I mean, most sports are, but like there are roles in baseball and, and you've got to have guys to fill the roster um, in those spots. And yeah, it seems like they got some really key guys. Now you mentioned it just a second ago, Mickey Mouse extra innings. Mickey Mouse extra innings also went, almost went uh, the Padres way. Yes, it's a hit almost. It, it was not, it was not good. Um, uh, after getting Jerks and Profar to strike out, uh, they intentionally walked Eric Hosmer, which I don't know how often those words have been uttered. Um, <laughs> not, not many. Uh, but that happened. And then unintentional walk for Kim. And here comes Austin Nola hitting for, you know, uh, San Diego's version of Austin Hedges, uh, Jorge Alfaro. Mm-hmm. Gets a double play. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that, that was a really great defensive play there, too. Um, but another big moment, uh, guys on base and, and, you know, making the play when you need to. And, man, it's hard to have a guy on second with no outs to start an inning and mm-hmm. get out of it with, without giving up a run. It's really, really tough to do. And that's why I have such a problem with this with this rule. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't it doesn't feel right. You know, like that's a bad situation to put a team in. And, like, it, who is good in those situations? You know what I mean? Like, nobody's good in those situations. It's just, like, you're putting these pitchers in a shitty situation, and they got to deal with it. And 
I don't think that many pitchers are too happy with that rule either. Uh, no, from any of the pitchers I've really heard of and you know people that are side on the pitching side of things, they hate this rule. Okay. Yeah. And I, I completely understand why. Like you're you're getting forced to pitch out of the stretch for no reason. There's a runner mm-hmm. on second, which you're not responsible for. That they're just gifted. Yep. And so that's that's part of the uh, I guess I guess the two main complaints I've heard from people on the uh, pitching side of things. But yeah. uh, credit here to Sandman Sandlin. Uh, yes. After 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 struggling in the middle of the inning, he got out of it and gave the Guardians a chance to win. And, you know, they took that chance and ran with it. Yeah, man. I mean, those two walks, it, it did not look good. It, it felt like this thing was about to get blown wide open. Um, but like you said, he, he stayed composed and he pitched out of it. And that's what you want from a bullpen guy like Sandlin. Like, you want a guy who when he gets himself in trouble, he can pitch out of it. You, you don't want a guy that whenever he gets a guy on the first and second base that he panics. And, and you know, that that's not what you need. And for him to answer the way he did and get out of it um, was really great because they, they could have pulled him. You know, they could have pulled mm-hmm. the plug on him early, um, but they stayed with him and let him get the job done. And, and I think that was massive for his confidence going forward. And uh, who expected Nick Sandlin to have two wins on the season already? Uh, not many. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know, this seems like a situation we, we normally see Anthony Ghost or Anthony Castro, uh, pitching, uh, but yep. luckily for Cleveland and Guardians fans everywhere, they pitched early in the game when we're actually kind of good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and another thing I want to mention too, Classe in a non-save situation. Oh, thank God he really did not good. shit the bed this time. Cause I'm like, Oh God, oh, damn my- it. is he going to do it again? Are they, are they going to throw him under the bus again? As soon as they marched him out there, I felt so bad. I was like, God damn it. They're just setting him up to lose this game. Uh, and he got the job done. Uh, he only threw 11 pitches, nine of them for strikes, uh, struck one out, and got out of the inning scoreless. And really, they didn't they didn't threaten at all. And one of the things I was saying on Class A earlier is it seemed like he always had to make things interesting. Uh, but in the bottom of the ninth, he came in and – or I'm sorry, in the top of the ninth, he came in and – didn't let that happen this time. He um, so kept things from being interesting. <laughs> yep, exactly. So he, he came in, and even though he doesn't get a save on the day, uh, I think that one-inning performance by Klasso was huge. Uh, yeah, definitely. Gave uh, the Guardians the chance to set up this dramatic win, and as we mentioned, at, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, it was Stephen Kwan time. Obi Kwan came oh, to save goodness. the day on Star Wars Day. With a, it a was nice, gonna be Quan. with a nice casual walk-off single that drove in Owen Owen Miller. Walk-off single in a situation where you and I both are screaming, "Why the fuck aren't we bunning?" And, <laughs> and that's what makes managers great. It, baseball is a game of feel, mm-hmm. and, and in that situation, I, I wasn't too pleased with the approach. But when you got a guy like Quan who just like he's such a good contact hitter, he's got the best approach at the plate. You know he's not going to swing at junk, um, even though he's a rookie. To put that much faith in him to, to let him go out there and swing um, speaks volumes of how highly they think of Stephen Quan. And this is exactly why. I mean, the guy comes in and, and does exactly what he's done all year long, and that's just hit hit you know big. Big hits and big moments uh, and big games. 
And for him to walk it off in front of the home crowd, it, it was just amazing. Just such an awesome, awesome way to, to answer from a, a loss. And like we said, everybody in the ballpark, who weren't that many to be fair, uh, everybody in the ballpark was thinking as soon as that first game ended, like, ah, shit, here we go. How many are we about to rattle off? Um, but they didn't. Uh, Quan played the hero, comes in in the bottom of the 10th inning and, and drives in the, the winning run. And it was just phenomenal. Could not have been a better way to uh, wrap up that two-game series with the Padres. Yeah, you know, coming off with a with a win like that, very impressive, very dramatic, very yeah. exciting. Um, by the way, very generous attendance numbers for the second game, the doubleheader. What did they have it at? Yes, <laughs> this would be our uh, mid our mid pod uh, trivia, which isn't necessarily fair to anybody, but take a guess. Let's, let's go nine thousand. Ten thousand two hundred forty four is what ESPN says here. Yeah right. Yeah right. Uh, Mid- uh, take uh, the take the last four off. There's maybe a thousand people there. Uh, yeah, I think that they were counting everybody that walked in for game one as well. Because uh, by game two, the the, the stadium was empty. It, it was completely empty. Yeah, um, it, it was. And, and people had left. People had thought the game was uh, a lot of people thought the game was over and took off early. Um, not a lot of people saw you know a gutty performance coming from Hedges and. Uh, Jimenez in the bottom of the eighth inning, um, but here we are. So, really awesome game. Really way nice way to tie a bow on a, a short series, which can be weird. Um, you, you you don't want to get swept every time you lose. You don't want to get swept, and and this is the first time they managed to do that. So, big game. Yeah, definitely, definitely big win, big game. Uh, getting this weird doubleheader splits and this is the only day that they're actually playing the Padres because of a two game split interleague series whatever I can't mm-hmm. wait for this crap to be over with I know um, it's silly it's so annoying because this, this situation is exactly like this one where it rains out on, on the first game and you yep. gotta play a doubleheader and then San Diego is off to go play somewhere else and it's just like that's just convenient for nobody it um, really is it's kind of becoming a problem but but I'm they're not a fan of it all. they're changing the way the schedules are done in the future, so it won't be much more of this. But very, very big win for the Guardians and the supposed ten thousand people were there. But I call bullshit. Um, yeah, I, I nine thousand. I was I was going higher than I honestly thought there because I guessed so low last time you asked me that. So <laughs> I did not expect ten k. There's no way there was ten thousand people there. there. There wasn't, unless there was just a lot of people huddled, uh, huddled <laughs> uh, beyond beyond the range of camera shot. There was no way ten thousand people were there. But uh, uh, that. It, that does add to the importance of this game, though. I mean, what what could spark interest in the team? You know, a lot of people not feeling high on baseball after the lockout and, and such. Uh, people having attendance issues league-wide. It's not a Cleveland unique issue. Um, but when you've got a young guy like Stephen Kwan who's hitting walk-offs in the bottom of the 10th inning, like it, that, that'll spark some some numbers. You know, I expect to see more people at the next uh, this this next series than may have came before just off of the excitement of that one play alone. Uh, hopefully, I mean, uh, it is a more familiar opponent for, for people yeah, uh, to come see, uh, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays and, you know, some some very, very high-profile names on that roster that will be Definitely. coming to town as well. And it's a weekend series, too, so I think that might help a little bit, too. 
always helps being a weekend series. Uh, anytime you've got a traditional doubleheader on a weekday, that's brutal. It's just yeah, it's you can't expect much. Um, so yeah, I'm, I it's not completely fair to to judge that against the fan base, but uh, yeah, it, there was not many people there. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, shortly after we finished recording uh, our pod earlier in the week, uh, the news of Jose and Stephen Kwan being named the American League Player and Rookies of the Month came out. So uh, congratulations to those two. Um, hopefully, this is the beginning of what should could be, maybe, an MVP season for Jose. And it could also maybe the beginning of what could be, maybe, possibly, a Rookie of the Year campaign for Stephen Kwan. Yeah, I think you have to, on like, even non-Guardians fans have to honestly ask themselves if that's a legitimate question right now, and I think the answer is yes. Uh, with Jose, I mean, that speaks for itself. He's always in the MVP conversation. I mean, for the past five years, he's been in the top five. I mean, he's he's always in that range. So you know that Jose's a guy that can always go out there and have a year like this. So I think definitely reasonable to expect him to make a run at the MVP award this year. And then the thing with Quan, where usually I would never give a guy a rookie of the year after just one month, um, because it's it's hard to maintain success as a rookie. But Quan has a very unique approach for a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very mature hitter. He sees the ball very well. He doesn't swing at garbage. He doesn't swing and miss. Uh, he hits for contact. He he doesn't try to pull the ball and hit it over the fence. Like, and that's a very sustainable approach. Much mm-hmm. more sustainable. Uh, than a guy like, uh, we'll just say like, uh, I don't know, say Julio Rodriguez if he had eight home runs at this point. Uh, or how I mean, about last year, Jeremy Mercedes? There you go. Perfect example. Perfect that dude example. fell off a damn cliff and has been in the minors ever since. Yes. Now, if, if, those, if that was the kind of player we were talking about here, um, I would say no, it's too early. But I, I think that, that it's worth... Uh, it's worth saying that that Quan has a really, really legitimate shot at the American League MVP this year, or uh, Rookie of the Year, um, and I, I think he definitely, by far, deserved it for the month of April. He did very, very impressive numbers for Quan in the month of April. Uh, he had a slash line three fifty four, four fifty nine, five hundred. That's a nine fifty nine OPS with zero home runs. That's, that's impressive. Incredible. That's, that's really. It's ridiculous, right? It, it is ridiculous, and uh, it, it's great to see uh, baseball recognize those type of numbers as opposed to just home runs, or you know what I mean? Because there, there's times when guys win awards, and it's it's a narrative thing, you know. It's mm-hmm. we're trying to push this, you know, for the league or whatever. And for them to give an old school player like Quan, who's not going to have, you know, he's not going to be hitting piss missiles. He's not going to have like these highlight reel bombs like some of these other young players are going to have. Um, so to give them to a player with no home runs, I think that's pretty cool. You know, and uh, you know, uh, five doubles and a triple for Quan. He had seven runs batted in. He walked nine times. He was hit twice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just six strikeouts, and he was caught stealing once in his only stolen base attempt in the month of April. First month in the big leagues. It's incredible. It really is. Pretty good, pretty good first month for him. Yeah, um, now, do I think he's going to hit 328? No. Do I Do I think his OPS is going to be over one without <laughs> without hitting any bombs? No, I don't think that those things are, are going to happen. But I do think that he's capable of being a 295, 300 guy uh, with a bunch of RBIs and a bunch of runs scored. 
you know, being at that second spot in the order, having Hosey hitting behind you, that's a that's a great spot. It uh, really is to be in. Um, yeah, because when you're protected by Jose Ramirez, and we mentioned it earlier, Jose at the time is really the only like big home run threat on the team with Brandmill being in a little bit of a funk. Um, so yeah, like to have him hitting behind you, like that's the best protection that you can get. So I mean, if he could stay in that two spot and. I think that's going to be the best place for him because he's going to see a lot better pitching there. Yeah, he's definitely going to. Uh, I mentioned Yermin Mercedes. I looked up his numbers from last year when he started off hot. All right. Mm -hmm. In 22 games, 415, 455, 659 slash, 446 BABIP. He had five home runs, five doubles, six walks, 12 strikeouts in April, right? Right. Get ready for May. Uh, do, 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 let's see. I know, 20, we, I know it dropped off. 27 know. games in May. Mm-hmm. 228, 301, 337, 268 BABIP. Two doubles, Oof. a triple, two home runs, nine walks, 20 strikeouts, 14 Oof. RBI. Good Lord. So Yeah, so dramatic difference between month one and month two. And his final month of the of the season in the major leagues, 159, 221, 191, 204 BABIP, 14 strikeouts, five walks, two doubles, no home runs in 18 games. Yeah, incredible. And when you look at the other guys that, like, at the beginning of the season were in the rookie of the year, you know, conversation, um, like, you know, Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, like, those guys, you know— it, didn't get off to the best start you know mm-hmm. they're not seeing the ball great and like those are number one prospects in their organizations like Quan is not a number one prospect in this organization yet here he is the AO rookie of the you know rookie of the month yeah and that's huge you know that's really really good to see because all those other guys were hands down number one player in the other farm systems mm-hmm. so this this one is just kind of like it speaks to how shocking and good of a start he really is off to. Yeah, very impressive start for Stephen Kwan. Something also worth noting here, uh, what, when Mercedes went on his run last April, uh, he was 28 years old. Kwan is 24. Um, okay. So every once Big in a while you'll have one of those older guys get up for a short span, go off, then disappear forever. Uh, I think he's disappeared forever. Um yeah, that that seems to be the case. Yeah, Juan doesn't Juan doesn't feel like that type of player. Like I said, I I think that his his approach is very very sustainable. Um, so as long as he can stay healthy, um, I think we can continue to expect a, a lot of great things from him. Yeah, uh, and and while um, Stephen Kwan's uh, BABIP is three eighty six, I do expect a little bit of a correction on that, uh, just because that's still a little high yeah but that's gonna correct itself it's it's nowhere near r- ridiculous 440 or whatever the hell it was for mercedes that's just dumb okay yeah that's ridiculous that that was a massive indicator that regression was coming and it's gonna hit hard but uh we already mentioned uh, jose a couple times here he was the player of the month for the american league um very right off these numbers yeah right off these numbers because <laughs> i don't know if a lot of people real flies like obviously the home runs stand out, but like they're just go ahead. There's okay. so many good numbers in here. Three forty two, four eleven, seven twenty two slash line. That's a stupid OPS of eleven thirty three. He had Incredible. seven doubles, seven home runs, 
uh, 28 RBI, which leads all of baseball. Uh, and he walked nine times while striking out nine times. Good Lord. I mean, it, the guy is just on fire at the plate. And, and, it, and he's not just... He's not getting lucky. You, you mentioned the, the Babbitt before of over 400. Like, that's a guy who's getting a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. That's a guy who's catching every break in the book. Um, Jose, this, the, none of this has been fluky. He's, I mean, he's absolutely barreling everything that they're throwing at him. Uh, he's hitting to the opposite end of the field more, too, which is great to see from him. Um, he's a guy that all of his home runs are usually pulls. And uh, he's got a couple that went the other, the other way this year. Um, and then on top of that, James, like those are his numbers. He's also hitting from both sides of the fucking plate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's doing it from the left side and from the right side. And it's just so rare for a switch hitter to just be that consistent from both sides of the plate. Uh, you usually see power numbers on one side or the other. Uh, he's got them on both. He's got a grand slam from each side of the plate already this year. So, yeah, his numbers are incredible. Not only that, he's a great third baseman. He, he's played the corner well. Um, he did have one characteristic error early in the year, but I, I think that had a lot to do with the short spring. I think he's absolutely in the zone right now, defensively, offensively, seeing the ball really well. Um, yeah, I mean, the, so glad that we just re-signed him. It's just such a feel-good story, him being willing to uh, take quite a bit less than his market value to stay in Cleveland um, and to be this productive this quickly after that news broke. It's just such a feel-good story for the Guardians fan base. And, you know, the craziest thing about the month of April is Jose didn't steal a base. Yeah, that's right. He had he has two stolen bases in May, but he was 0-for-1 on stolen base attempts in April. Yeah, so that's something we usually are seeing him do, too, swipe bags. Uh, part of that has a lot to do with uh, not hitting a lot of singles. You know, when you're on... <laughs> yeah. When you start on second and third, you're not going to steal many bases. So I think that had a lot to do with it as well. Um, so, yeah, if he starts slugging, you know, maybe a more reasonable rate and getting on first a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. I think we'll see that. That'll bounce back as well. Yeah. Um, I, I do expect him to, to be around the 30 stolen base range. Yeah. Uh, 15 of his 28 hits in April went for extra bases. That's incredible. Yeah, looking at uh, Jose's stolen base numbers over the past couple of years, uh, 27 last year, 10 in 2020, 24 in 2019, 34 career high in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, pretty and good. for the Yeah, and, and for the casual listeners at home, like the, the slugging percentage thing, but essentially what that is is how many bases do you average every time you go up to the plate? Mm-hmm. And, and when you're averaging more than one base every time you walk to the plate— <laughs> In a game where Hall of Famers uh, only got on, you know, three out of ten times, like, holy shit, that's hard to do. Like, that's a number that's crazy. Any time that you're you're slugging like that, it's just, that's transcendent stuff. It's very impressive. We we all know Jose Ramirez is a very impressive player, and, you know, he just continues to do things just like, how the hell is this coming out of a guy that's only five foot nine? And... Doesn't look like he's necessarily the most muscular individual as well. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it's fair to call call it a dad bod, a little bit of a dad bod. He's obviously uber strong and in much better shape than most dads I know. But for Major League Baseball, like, you see some of these young guys, like, they're just cut up and chiseled out of stone. Uh, Jose's not that kind of guy. You know, he's kind of more of a throwback power hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely got a little bit of uh, extra weight on him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, Which... And I mean, 
it stands to his advantage at the plate too. Like it's hard to pitch to small guys. It, it um, is. It is. And he's, you know, he benefits from that. And like you said, he only struck out. What was it? Uh, nine strikeouts on nine walks or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. one for one strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah, I mean, and you look at his home run numbers and his RBI numbers, like those are numbers you see from guys who strike out 180, 190, 200 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ho- Jose's not that. Um, so he's even more rare um, of a you know, power hitter. Yeah, and uh, I know we're talking about April, but real quick, uh, he's already walked six times in May, and he's struck out just once. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> it's yeah, three just... games in two days. To see the ball as well as he's seeing it right now, this early in the year, is just that. That's why I'm so optimistic at his chance of actually finally winning the MVP award. Um, it, it certainly doesn't help that you've got the first guy since Babe Ruth in your league uh, pitching and fucking batting DH and hitting bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that it'll take a little bit of a regression from Shohei for Jose to gain the MVP award. But you know, to answer the question, yeah, he's. He is definitely uh, going to be in the conversation for MVP this year. He he will be, and you know you look at what the prime of a baseball player is. It's generally that twenty-eight to thirty-two range. Jose is twenty-nine, so yep, he, he's, yeah, he's right in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. If anything, he's peaking right now. He's not on the other side of it. I don't think his um, best days are behind him yet. Yeah, I don't either. He's got a, a lot to. He's got a lot more to do in a Cleveland uniform, that's for sure. It's crazy he's not 30 years old. That blows my mind. He turns 30 in September. Hey, shout out. Yep. September 17th, he turns 30. Shut shut up. Are you serious? He turns 30 September 17th. God damn, we share birthdays with so many people. <laughs> uh, we do. We, for anyone who doesn't know, we have the same birthday, September seventeenth. So you know, yeah. uh, Jose Ramirez, Patrick Mahomes. How, how did I forget about Jose? I don't know. I'm not a big birthday guy, but now that I know this about our birthday, I am because <laughs> there are so many just amazing people that were born on our birthday. Yeah, uh, people that are really, really good at you know what they do. Uh, so. Much like ourselves. Yes. So, you know, September 17th, optimal birthday date. Yeah, nine months previous. Circle that on your calendars for everybody who's trying to get pregnant at home. Yeah, about a week before Christmas, that's the time to go. Um, (laughs) Yep. Right after you're celebrating a Guardians World Series, uh, getting ready for the winter, you can wind down and uh, make yourself a September 17th, baby. Yeah, there you go. Right there. That's perfect. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So, um, Guardians are still going to be at home. They have a four-game series coming up against the Blue Jays. Not a great pitching matchup in Game 1. That is, if Game 1 happens this evening, it's supposed to rain again. Yeah, not looking great right now. Because the April showers, May flowers thing is backwards, apparently, in Northeast Ohio. Um, yeah, in Northeast Ohio, April showers bring more May showers. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is accurate. But uh, game one, uh, weather pending, uh, we have Aaron Savali versus uh, Jose Barrios. We're very familiar with Mr. Jose Barrios as he used to uh, pitch in the division with the White Sox. Have some pretty good success against him. Uh, some of the guys do. Uh, Framiel's 4 for 11. Jose's 8 for 39 with two doubles and a homer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin Hedges is 2-4 with a double. Hey, 500. Yeah, so take that. Josh Naylor, 3-4 for four with a double. 
But uh, Andres Jimenez, Oscar Mercado, Ahmed Rosario combined 0 for 9. That's not good. That's not good. But the other guys, those are the ones to count on. Um, looking from Toronto's point of view, Bo Bichette, Zach Collins, Vladdy Jr., Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 0 for 12 with a strikeout and two walks against Savali. Whoa, I did not expect the numbers to kind of be backwards like this. Uh, I did not either, but uh, with the way Savali is pitched this year, uh, I don't expect yeah. that to matter all that much. Uh, that's a fair point. He is currently sitting at 0-2 with a 10.67 ERA, uh, 1.95 whip, and the, just the 14 strikeouts, so not great. Uh, the, the only thing that's beneficial is that it's at least a double strikeout to walk ratio for Safali, but uh, he has a, a negative one war right now. Negative one. That's not good. That's he, the opposite of what you want. You're getting a loss every time he steps onto the mound. Yeah, that's that's really bad. Um, obviously, that'll course correct over the you know the course of the season, but uh, you know the question of whether he can bounce back in you know, be good enough to beat this Blue Jays lineup. That's another story entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, because let's face it, this is one of the most intimidating lineups uh, in all of baseball. Yeah, what seems to be hurting Savali is a couple things. One it is his ground ball to fly ball ratio, okay? It, right now, uh, he's at .4 ground balls to fly balls. Uh, that is... Not particularly good. He's normally at the .7 to .8 range over the first couple of years of his career. Right. Also, problem. Opponents are hitting three fifty off of him, essentially. Jesus. Uh, that's 70 points worse than his previous career low, or high, or however you want to describe this. Uh, they're slugging five eighty seven, which is over 100 points higher. So, yeah, not great. Not great at all. Um, yeah, so not the best matchup, not very favorable way for us to start this series against the Blue Jays, uh, but that's where we stand uh, for what it's worth. Uh, Moneyline, Blue Jays minus 150. Uh, so yeah, Blue Jays heavily favored in this game, um, and I, I think that's to be expected because of the matchup that you mentioned. Um, this does feel a little bit similar to uh, earlier in the year when we went up against Rodon, um, kind of getting, getting similar vibes to that. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, it, you know, the the one concern, I guess, to, to look into this is just when's the bleeding going to stop with Savali? You know, right? It's, he has not been good at all this year. So I I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but you, I would. I was just going to say real quick. Do you think that potentially we could be seeing like uh, like the two starter? situation here where they're only planning on putting him out there for a couple innings and then have a guy in long relief kind of a opener piggyback start thing um yeah maybe maybe they could um just to keep him from being out there that long against these guys you know what i'm saying because yeah if he gets through the order once he might not get through it twice um so i could see them maybe limiting limiting his innings if he gets off to a good start Possibly. Um, I know they really like Sam Henches a lot, so maybe they could do something with a Savali Henches piggyback, kind of do a righty-lefty type thing. Yeah, um, he's looked pretty good so far. But looking at Savali, I mean, he hasn't gone more than four innings in a start this year. He's averaging less than four innings per start. Yeah, that's 
not good at all. Obviously, the numbers are lower for you know pitchers across the league with the short spring, um, but his are even exaggerated. Uh, that's that's not good at all. Um, you want your starter to go at least five innings, um, and to not even be averaging close to that. It just speaks to how poorly he's been pitching. Uh, we just couldn't afford to keep him out there that long in, in either of his starts so far. Um, so yeah, ten six seven ERA. Obviously, that's going to come down. But uh, when will the bleeding stop? Is a very good question. Uh, hopefully, it's today because uh, they're going to need it uh, to to win the first game of the series against the Blue Jays. Uh, to win any of the games against uh, the Blue Jays, they're going to need some That's good pitching. That's a fair statement. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Savali just needs to. I don't know. I just. I, I don't know. Like, what can I say that will make him better? I mean, he's throwing a lot of pitches and not a lot of innings. Uh, pitch efficiency. There we go. That That's what yeah. he needs. He needs increased pitch efficiency. How's that? Yeah, he needs to keep his stuff low, too, because that, that number is alarming. And, and that usually what that says about a pitcher is he's not keeping his stuff low in the zone. Uh, and when you're a guy that relies on the ground ball, like, you you got to live on the bottom of that strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, you know, CMK, stay low in the zone. Obviously, you're going to mix it up, change guys' eye levels once in a while. Um, but but keep them low today. Try to get the ball on the ground because um, that can do a lot for a guy's confidence. If you know you go out there and you throw five six pitches and get three ground outs, you know like that's that's a big confidence booster and it could go a long way for him uh, trying to stretch out his start. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, meanwhile, we have Jose Barrios, who has essentially been on cruise control since his uh, disastrous first start, which saw him allow four runs in just a third of an inning. <laughs> yeah, he's been lights out since then, has he not? Oh, the the, the dude's been the dude's been uh he's been nails. Uh just yeah. a two six four ERA over the other four games if you remove the one third of an inning from the equation. Right. So uh yeah, three runs allowed, then one, then two, then one his last uh four starts. And those are against some pretty potent offenses. The Yankees, the Red Sox twice and the Astros. Yeah, definitely guys. Uh, lineups that are more potent than ours. So uh, if we're being fair, <laughs> so yeah, that that's cause for concern. Um, yeah, I, I think I this matchup in particular is really not very favorable for us. Um, but you know, you hope that they can start this series out with a win. Um, but yeah, at Toronto, sixteen and ten, ten and six at home. Um, they have a ten and three record in games decided by one run, so they're really good in close games. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of things that we aren't particularly strong at. Um, the Blue Jays have a strength, so uh, it's kind of like a matchup nightmare right now. Yeah, not not a not a great, uh, I guess, match for for the Guardians. Really, uh, Guardians three and three in one run games this year. So. We are getting them at kind of a good time. They did just drop two or three to the Yankees. Um, so last 10, they're a very human six and four with only a 226 batting average. So not, not you know, lights out by any means. And But the ERA has only been 3.86 ERA uh, over that 10-game span. So good pitching um, overall for them. And uh, that's been enough for them to, to get off to a good start. Yeah, Toronto definitely one of the... Uh... I guess one of the teams more looked upon favorably this year yeah. for potential deep run. Now, yeah. uh, game two should be a little bit more uh, Cleveland friendly in the pitching matchup. 
Shane Bieber, Kevin Gausman. Uh, okay, yeah, it's much more favorable. Kevin Gausman is having a little bit of a uh, mid-career resurgence here. Yeah, he's had also a really good start this year. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see him go to Toronto uh, after you know the the nice little run he had with the Giants for the past two years. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting move. You know, he kind of bounced around a little bit after some middle success, I'll call, with, with the Orioles. Uh, it, it's almost like getting out of Baltimore saved his career. Well, yeah, <laughs> and you look at it this way. Like, look at Baltimore's lineup and look at Toronto's lineup. And, and I mean, how much more faith do you have to have in your guys to pick you up when you've got Vlad Jr. in the lineup? You know, like, they've got big, big bats in that lineup. So it's like, you know you can live with having an off day. You know, you don't have to have your best stuff every time you march out there. Like, if, if you can go six, seven innings and give up four or five runs, like, is that a good game? No. But is it good enough to, to give this team a chance to win? Absolutely. Um, so I think that has to do you – know, that has a lot to do with, I think, his early success. It's just the confidence in knowing that, like, he doesn't have to be perfect for Toronto. He just has to be good enough. Yeah, and, you know, with the, a team like – like the Blue Jays, being good enough is enough to get you into a win. But, you know, when you got Gausman and he's coming out with a two two seven ERA, which is uh, career best up to this point. Granted, it's only 31 innings across five games. But he's got 41 strikeouts to, are you ready for it? Zero walks. <laughs> yeah, zero walks, zero home runs. So uh, <laughs> the guy's in command of his stuff right now. Uh, it, it, uh, just transversely, Shane Bieber, the ace of our staff, six walks and three home runs. And I'm not saying he's pitching terrible by any means. Those are just very human numbers. Um, that just speaks volumes about how good of a start Gossman's been off to. Yeah, Gossman off to a very impressive start. Bieber also been impressive in his own right. Very impressive in his own right, yes. Yeah. So looking at previous history, not a whole lot to go off of. Zach Collins, of all people, is two for nine. Uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr., 1 for 5. Matt Chapman, 1 for 3 with a double. Uh, Vladdy Jr., 0 for 2. George Springer, 0 for 6 with 3 strikeouts. That's huge because he's off to – he's had a hot hot little stretch uh, of games recently. So mm-hmm. to have to have him have, you know, not great numbers against Bieber, that, that's good for us because he's a guy that you want to see cool down before this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. And <laughs> – Always funny when you see Anthony Ghost up here, former position player. It's Gaussman. <laughs> One for four with a strikeout for Ghost. But no, really. Uh, Jose Ramirez, three for 11 with a double. Ahmed Rosario is one for four, but it was a home run that big drove one. in four runs. Uh, hey, big one. <laughs> uh, Luke Maley, one for five. There we go. Uh, former Blue Jay. But, um, yeah. So that would, that's a good good point there. Uh, Maley being a former Blue Jay. Uh, good storyline to watch him going up against this former team, um, and, and being a catcher and being a you know that catchers often are captains of the team. You know they know everything about pitching staff. So like to have Maley be able to tell our hitters before they go up, like, hey, this is what this guy does. Hey, this is what that guy does. Like that's invaluable. Like it's very very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. I expect Maley to be sitting closely with guys like Jose Ramirez and. Because uh, good baseball players will pick a guy's brain like that. You know, you, you always want to take advantage of uh, any kind of edge you have over them. And I think Maley knowing their pitching staff very well um, is something that could definitely help us in this series. 
definitely could be beneficial. Also, side note, Anthony Ghost, former Blue Jay. But uh, I don't yeah. think it's going to help us out as much. <laughs> not, not as much, but yeah, him being a guy that was in the same the same pen as those dudes. Um, yeah, that's huge. But yeah, when you're a catcher, you know these guys backwards and front. You know everything about them. So um, I expect him to, to have some, some tips for uh, the sluggers on our team, and, and hopefully that'll pay off. Uh, maybe it will. Uh, hopefully it will. But, yeah, uh, it, when you're going to a series, a four-game series against a team like Toronto, who's obviously the better team, you know those are the kind of things that you you got to hope for. You know, you got you got to look for wins any way that you can, and uh, that's why I expect you know the little things. They really got to tighten up on the little things uh, if they want to have a successful series against the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's it's possible. It's in the cards. I I, I don't know uh, exactly how they will. Uh, I guess how everything will play out, but it, it seems like it's possible. And honestly, possibility is really what you need uh, sometimes yeah. in, in matchups like this. Yeah, I, I think that splitting the series would be ideal. Like if you can get two wins from these guys, uh, really capitalize on, on, you know, Beaver and then also capitalize on uh, the next game. You know, McKenzie's off to a really, really good start as well. Uh, well, you know, he had the two losses. He's off to a good bounce back since he was off to a poor start, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like that matchup against Stripling, um, those two matchups are very winnable. Uh, yeah, this one is very winnable. Um, I, I noticed looking at the the history against Stripling, some of the guys who just hit the piss out of the ball when they faced Stripling before. Uh, yeah, I saw that too, and that's another reason I circled that game uh, as one of the more winnable ones on this schedule. Yeah, uh, Josh Naylor three for three with a homer. Uh, Framiel Reyes three for seven. Ahmed Rosario two for seven with a triple. Um, Austin Hedges three for thirteen with a double. Uh, Jose Ramirez one for two with a walk. <laughs> but uh, nobody else really of note. Well, oh, Miles Straw one for two with. Uh, with uh, two walks and a run driven in. But uh, looking at McKenzie, uh, not really a whole lot. Bo Bichette's two for three. Zach Collins, one for two. Santiago uh, Espinal, one for three. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., one for three. Then 0 for threes for Guriel and Springer, and 0 for one for Chapman. So not a lot to work off of. <clears throat> not really a whole lot there. There's a little bit more, I guess, track record for some of the guys that used to play in the National League against Stripling uh, when Stripling was back with the Dodgers. And uh, I really forgot how how young Stripling is. I thought Stripling was much older than what he is. What what age is he at he's, right now? He's 32. I thought he was older than that. He, he feels a lot older than that. He's a guy that feels like he's been around forever. And... Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out real to, real quick, too, um, I mean, say what you will about Vegas and the odds or what have you, but we're actually favored in that matchup with McKenzie starting, mm-hmm. and we're favored in the matchup with Beaver, and we are uh, underdogs in game one and game four. So, it, you know, at least they're picking us to, to be able to win two of those games. So um, I think that that speaks highly of uh, – what what Vegas thinks of the Guardians in their early start because if this series would have happened at the beginning of the year, uh, I think it would be hands down uh, Toronto heavy favorites to sweep. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Stripling's game logs here. Uh, he reminds me a lot in terms of length and pitch volume of what we've gotten out of Savali. Not particularly deep yeah. uh, in into games. 
throwing a lot of pitches for the most part. Uh, the only thing that's helped him is he hasn't given up a ton of runs. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I mean, he's controlling, uh, you know, the scoreboard. That's just the ultimate goal of a, a pitcher. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you hope with a guy like that that you can uh, get his pitch count up early, um, you know, get him off balance a little bit, and, and hopefully just try to get him out of there, you know, because guys that could take you long innings and, and, you know, keep it low scoring, it's uh, that, that could really drag out for an offense. So hopefully they can get to him early and, and you know, maybe uh, buck the trend that some of those guys are having against them. Yeah, and, you know, I'm looking at the uh, slugging percentage allowed for Stripling. It's 347. Uh, that's 150 points lower than it was last year. Uh, yeah. That's the best number he's had in his career by over 50 points. So a, a correction's coming. Uh, yeah, we talked about sustainability earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something that course correction is definitely coming. So why not during our game? Saturday night would be a great time for that slugging percentage to just yeah. kind of correct itself. Yeah, that would be a fantastic night for that. That'd be a great uh, a great opportunity for that. So uh, the last game we only know, Toronto starter, and that is Alec Manoa. And Obviously. Not, yeah, not no starter him. name by the Guardians yet. Yeah, we have not faced Mr. Manoa before, but he's, he's pretty good. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm pulling his numbers up right now. He's uh, got a one four five ERA, thirty two strikeouts, an eight forty WHIP. Oh wow! Pretty uh, pretty solid. Yeah, good stuff. Really good stuff. How old is he? Uh, he is twenty four years old. Yeah, so that, those are really good numbers for a young guy, um, and also tied for first with four wins right now. So he, he, they're winning games when he starts. So um, that's. That's obviously something that you would hope that we could break that trend uh, and be the first team to, to get a loss. Yeah, the, they've only lost one game that he's pitched, and uh, it wasn't his fault, and it was his last start, and that was against the Yankees. Uh, the Blue Jays lost 9-1, to one, but Manoa only allowed one run in six innings, so some nice bullpen work there. Um, yeah, and that's stuff that you expect from this Blue Jays team. I, I feel like that's going to happen a lot. Um, the, not the best, you know. Uh, they're... they're they're not going to be known for their pitching, that's for sure. Um, so uh, if they're going to have any success, it's going to be their bats that do it and not their arms in the bullpen. Yeah, uh, stop me if you heard this one before. Adam, Sir, Adam Simber imploded in less than an inning of work because that's what happened uh, here. Yeah, I think uh, uh, all of us are familiar with that. Yeah, so uh, he allowed a run in an inning. He allowed two hits. Three runs came across the score. Uh, struck out just one. Ten pitches, all of this happened. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah, uh, one of the things that the, the Guardians have been doing well recently, though, is uh, scoring late, mm-hmm. uh, getting hits late in games. And uh, that's what you want to do against a team like that. You know, when they've got guys out there that are vulnerable, um, take advantage. You know what I mean? So if we go out there and just because it might be uh, the bottom of the sixth inning and we've only got one hit and no runs – uh, that doesn't mean that we're one bullpen pitcher away from blowing the thing wide open. Mm-hmm. And uh, following Simber in that game was Julian Merriweather, who decided to uh, one-up him, kind of, because he led three runs uh, on 14 pitches and didn't get an out. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. 
yeah, not not the best performance. So um, yeah, the, their bullpen has shown that they're very vulnerable. And you know, like I said, the Guardians are good at scoring late, and uh, that might be something that um, you know can give us an edge. Yes, please pitch Adam Simber all four games. That would be great. That would be awesome. So I do think this is, as ridiculous as this sounds, a, a splittable series with the Blue Jays. I, um, it feels that way. It does feel that way. It feels splittable. And the reason I say it's ridiculous is because they've split uh, exactly uh, two series this season. Everything else has been a sweep. Yes. Yeah, it's... Uh... With, with us bouncing back from that loss with a win for the first time, hopefully we've bucked that trend, um, and, and that doesn't continue. Um, but yeah, this is a team that, um, you know, they're vulnerable. They have vulnerabilities, and, and for a young team like the Guardians, that's that's really good late in games. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I give this team a chance to win two of these games. Do I think that we're going to win as many games as the Blue Jays this year? Absolutely not. But do I think that we match up well against them and can give them some problems? Yeah, I do. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting series for sure. And uh, I think everybody would be happy with a split. Yeah, take the split. And, you know, that's that's presuming and assuming that they play Thursday evening. Uh, again, rain is supposed to come in. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it says about 30% at first pitch, then gets more and more and just doesn't go away. So, God, I hope they squeeze it in today because uh, you just don't, you don't want to have double headers that close to each other. And um, yeah, we'll hope that we could squeeze it in today. But it, I guess the one benefit is that it's an early game. You know what I mean? So they mm. they can delay they could delay the game an hour or two. Um, but yeah, as of right now, we do not have word of whether or not the game is going to be delayed. Yeah, what, you don't want your third doubleheader in about two weeks? <laughs> right, your third traditional doubleheader. Um, oh, those are yep. so hard to do at the big league level, too. Like, yeah. to start a game 45 minutes after a game ends, it's like a brutally quick turnover. It, it is very quick, but uh, splittable series. Let's hopefully they can get game one in, because I'm, I'm really excited for it. Uh, Me too. should be a good series. Toronto is a very, very exciting team to watch. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, I, I did pick them to win that division, and I did have Vlad Jr. as my AL MVP at the beginning of the season. So it's a team that I think very highly of, um, but like I said, a team that has some glaring weaknesses uh, and a team that I think that we can get through this weekend. Definitely. And uh, that wraps up the series previews. Uh, and as always, we're at the end of the pod here, so it's, it's trivia time. Trivia time. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first this time? I will go first. Okay. Okay, great. Yep. Uh, who was the first player to throw a pitch as a Washington National? Ooh. First player to throw a pitch as the Washington National. Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to think of who the Expos pitchers would have been that carried over. Man, it's a very tough one. Let's see. If I give you a reminder of what year it was, will that help at all? <laughs> was it like 2004? 2005 was the first season in Washington. Okay, okay, so I'm close. This player okay. was with Montreal the two years beforehand. So he was an expo and a national. Was it the only the, the only starter I can think about 
that played for both teams is Levon Hernandez. And that's that, the answer. No way! Yes! That is, James, I'm not lying to you when I say that that's the only starting pitcher I could remember <laughs> from that Expos team that carried over. That's the only one I could think of. So if it wasn't that, I had no fucking chance. Yeah, uh, Levon Hernandez. Uh, other names, uh, Esteban Loiza, John Patterson, Tony Armas, Ryan uh, Dries. Yeah, see, I never would have got any of those guys if it would have been one of them. Yeah, so uh, what, you're not going to go with Esteban Loiza? Uh, <laughs> no. Well, that's good. So I got my first trivia question. I'm on the board. So mark that down for posterity's sake. And with that, all this positivity, I did not expect to get a trivia question today. That threw me off a little bit. That, that, so was, that was good. I've got one for you. All right. And mind you, for our audience, I have to make these kind of different and obscure because James is freakishly good at baseball trivia. Um, so this one's got a little bit of a tie over um, in another department. So okay. there has been one United States president to play in the College World Series, and he played in the very first College World Series. I'm not going to tell you who he played for, but this U.S. president played in the very first College World Series. Can you give me a year of the College World Series? 40, I want to say 47 or 48. I know it was real close to when the Guardians last won a World Series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, All I right. can confirm that. I can confirm okay. that. Yeah. So here's my guess. Yep. George Herbert Walker Bush. God damn it, James, we're on fire. <laughs> yeah. Here, okay, here's the curveball in this situation. I really thought you would go George Bush Jr. Just because everybody knows that first pitch that he threw out for the Yankees uh, after 9-11. Really big moment. Mm. The dude looked like he had an absolute arm. I did not know that his dad was a baseball player as well. Um, yeah, he played for Yale. Mm -hmm. um, and he played in the very first College World Series. He also played in the second one. Yale made it in back-to-back -back years. Yeah. So, yeah, George Herbert Walker Bush is the answer. Yep. Uh, I was leaning that direction uh, once you asked the question. Once you told me the year, I'm like, yep, it's H.W. It's Bush. I was – see, I, the year was the thing that – I was hoping you would think the, the first College World Series was like in the 60s. Um, but yeah, once you ask the qualifying question, that's a little bit of a hint. Yeah, um, I, I knew uh, George Bush Sr. Uh, was baseball involved. I knew he played baseball. I didn't know he was in the College World Series, but um, I, I knew that he had that background. Uh, so once you gave me the the '40s year, I'm like, okay, that's that's <laughs> th that's that's it. I'm, I was I was already leaning heavily in that direction. Yes, but uh, you mentioned uh, George W. Bush's uh, first pitch, greatest first pitch of all time, hands down. Uh, it, the the magnitude of the moment, the location, old Yankee Stadium, um, incredible, absolutely mm -hmm. incredible. The dude goes out there and throws a dart, uh, probably seventy five mile per hour fastball. It looked really good. Um, you just we're so used to seeing people go out for these first pitches and it just being just like a comedy of errors. 
And, and he just went out there, stepped on the rubber, and threw smoke. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah whether it was, it's it was a, a really cool moment. That's why I thought this trivia question would get you. Yeah, whether it's uh, uh, 50 Cent or the mayor of Cincinnati, who had two of the worst first pitches of all time. <laughs> uh, and they, they were doing so without the pressure of it being in New York following 9-11, wearing a bulletproof vest in the center of Yankee Stadium. And the only <laughs> advice he got from Derek Jeter was, don't bounce it. Don't bounce it. Yeah, which is it's such a Jeter thing to say too. Like, he never says anything of substance. It's always just something real generic. Don't bounce it. Um, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And then I have another tie-in, not tie-in question to that one, but a tie-in to current events. Okay. Uh, it won't be relevant by next week, so I'm going to use it now. What former bank robber was a professional pitcher, but never made it to the big league level? So noted bank robber was a professional ball player for two years in the minor leagues before he went on his bank robbing escapades. Okay, so I'm thinking of a couple names here. And the tie-in and, and why it's relevant is there is an actor in the news who played this particular bank robber in a movie. Aha, that gives me the answer. It's John Dillinger. Boom, got it. Yeah, I was uh, I was wasn't sure. I'm like uh, John Dillinger, <laughs> Clyde Barrow. Once there's only you, a couple to guess from anyway. So that's there's only a handful. Second. Once 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 you mentioned Mr. Johnny Depp, yeah, uh, or at least alluded to him. I'm like, okay, yep, John Dillinger. Okay. I had to throw it in there. I had to throw it in there because it was I, I literally Google searched obscure baseball trivia, and that was the one right underneath the George Bush one. And I was like, oh well, Johnny Depp's in the news right now. I'll throw that one in there too. Those two very excellent trivia questions. Yeah, that was fun. Um, did not expect to get a trivia question today. The the qualification of a 2005 certainly helped me a lot mm -hmm. to pull Hernandez. And the 1947 was a good hint for you too. So mm -hmm. good way to, that's a great way to end a podcast. That's a, so. definitely a great way to end this pod. And before we get out of here, just reminder, like, comment, subscribe, share, tell your friends and family, unless if you don't do it, it's stealing. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, TuneIn, and ThisIsBelieveOne.com. Mm -hmm.